You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am very excited to have with me today, YB Ramakrishna. Let me tell you about Ramakrishna before um, I introduce him to, to the program. So uh, he is a partner in Best Associates uh, in India, and he is one of the uh, key and most foremost people knowledgeable and connected and involved in biofuel policymaking in India. He's been involved in the biofuel program for over two decades. Uh, he served as chairman uh, of Karnataka State Task Force on Biofuels and Karnataka State Biofuel Development Board between 2008 and 2013. He has served as the chairman of the National Working Group on Biofuels between 2015 and 2018, and he continues as an expert member. Ramakrishna, welcome to the program. It's so great to have you join. Thank you very much, uh, Tammy. You know, thank you for that uh... Nice introduction, too. Oh, thank you. So for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to actually work on biofuels issues in India? Okay. Uh, you know, by training, I'm an electronics engineer, and I have been uh, working with uh, a lot of multinationals as a design engineer, later on as a marketing engineer, and started my own uh, company uh, way back in uh, 1996. But I got involved in uh, biofuel work through a voluntary organization, which I started way back in 1987. You know, this was uh, basically focusing on uh, you know the alternate energy, environment protection, and rural development. And uh, in 2000, I was introduced to some of the biofuel work that was going on in Indian Institute of Science, which is a premier uh, university, uh, science university in uh, based in Bangalore. So when I got to know some of the work that they had done, I thought that you know this has the potential to be scaled up at the national level. And then um, you know uh, my own networking that I had uh, with uh, the NGOs in uh, the state of Karnataka. So I started consulting them, and I thought that there was an opportunity to involve the community in a big way in the biofuel program. And then we organized a national workshop, my voluntary organization, as well as Indian Institute of Science together way back in 2003. And we invited some of the key members of the parliament, which included the then petroleum minister, uh, this happened in March 2003, and then uh, he was so impressed with uh, some of the presentations that were made in that uh, national conference. Uh, the ethanol blending program started uh, in June 2003. So that's how uh, we got into the biofuel uh, program. Apart from uh, ethanol, you know, we were also looking at uh, biodiesel program from the various different types of uh, tree-based non-edible oil seeds that uh, are abundantly available in the country. So uh, in 2008, I was invited by the Karnataka state government uh, to chair a task force on biofuels. And then in after working there for two years as the chairman of the task force on biofuels, we 
came back with a set of recommendations to the state and uh, uh, the state implemented all those recommendations and constituted a national biofuel, I mean, in the state biofuel board. And I was asked to chair it. So I was also given the rank of the minister. So the kind of work that we started doing in uh, Karnataka on the biofuel program did attract a lot of attention from across the country and from outside the country also. In fact, uh, United Nations uh, was very keen on the biodiesel uh, uh, you know, program model that we had in Karnataka and they adopted it and they started implementing in uh, countries like uh, Kenya, Nepal, Malaysia, Indonesia, wow. and also northeastern parts of uh, Brazil. So uh, my stint with Karnataka state government lasted uh, until 2013. And once there was a change of government, the new government did not want my services. However, I got involved with the United Nations. I was part of uh, one of their uh, committees, and uh, they were operating out of uh, Kenya. Uh, so uh, in 2014, uh, when uh, uh, a new government was formed in government of, uh, you know, in, at uh, Delhi, uh, I was invited uh, by the petroleum minister to be his advisor and help him with uh, you know, formulating a national biofuel program. In fact, in 2009, India had come up with a national biofuel policy. Right. We had a good policy on hand. Though targets were there, you know, we didn't have an implementation plan in place. So the yeah. uh, 2009 policy did set a target of 20% blending of uh, ethanol in uh, gasoline and 20% biodiesel in diesel. But in 2014, when I was invited by the central government, you know, when I reviewed the national blending program, we realized that the ethanol blending was happening at about 1.4%, uh, and the biodiesel blending had not started at all. So then we started uh, looking into some of the hurdles that were there, and, you know, it's a history. Today we have uh, a very good uh, ethanol program uh, in place, blending program, plus biodiesel, we are struggling, but, you know, uh, we have clear roadmap drawn. Then we have a, uh, you know, uh, compressed biogas program uh, to replace uh, natural gas and uh, LPG. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also, uh, you know, have started a program for sustainable aviation fuel at this point of time. So that's where we stand. And in 2015, I was, uh, it was a national working group that was constituted by the Ministry of Petroleum, and I was asked to chair that. And we came up with a new policy in 2018 with new targets and a very clear roadmap as to how do we get there and how do we achieve those kind of targets. So I think that's my brief uh, background. So, um, so let me ask you, because there are several, um, I think, threads that I think are, are very interesting to explore with you. And, and first one is, you know, what is the current state of, of biofuels in, in India, especially for ethanol? And I, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that um, the country, you know, achieved uh, 10% um, ethanol penetration uh, this year. Um, after you, you just talked about, um, you know, there have been some difficulties from the from the start um, of the program until now. So, so what's the state um, of biofuels right now, and and for ethanol, and and I think also what have you learned 
in, you know, um, everyone involved in ethanol policy setting or biofuels policy setting, what have you learned that works and does not work, I think, when it comes to developing and implementing and successfully reaching um, targets as as has been done with with ethanol this year? Uh, Well, as I mentioned, you know, in 2014, when we reviewed uh, the ethanol blending program, we realized that, you know, we were at 1.4%, you know, pan-India as against uh, the 20% target that we were supposed to achieve by 2017. Right. So what we started doing was we started looking at various different hurdles, uh, you know, which which were not helping us achieve those kind of targets. So we started removing these hurdles one by one. The very first one was there was a lot of interstate movement restriction of ethanol, and there was interstate uh, taxes that were being, uh, you know, uh, uh, forced by the states. And then uh, uh, when we uh, were pushing the oil marketing companies for blending the ethanol, uh, they would come up with a certain price which was not acceptable to the ethanol producers. So mm-hmm. it was a uh, no win situation for uh, everybody. So a couple of things that we did was removing all those, uh, uh, you know, hurdles that they were there, all the kind of administrative hurdles. And then on the ethanol, uh, we decided that, you know, uh, until such time the market really develops, we will have some kind of a uh, controlled uh, pricing mechanism. So government came up with uh, a certain price, uh, which was acceptable to both uh, the ethanol producer, as well as uh, the oil marketing companies for blending. So mm-hmm. they, though all the marketing companies were losing a little bit of uh, money, uh, there were some kind of support that was extended to make sure that uh, you know they didn't crib a lot about it. Because you know one of the major uh, objective of our uh, biofuel policy was to see how we can reduce our dependency on the import of fossil fuels. So that I think you know was the kind of clincher, and there was no looking back after 2014. You know, year after year, our blending uh, went up. Except I think in 2015 or 16, when uh, sugarcane production dropped because of uh, the vagaries of monsoon. So, uh, but um, as you rightly said, uh, you know, uh, the new policy had set a target of achieving 10% blending by end of 2022 and 20% blending of ethanol in uh, gasoline by 2030. Uh, so uh, the, in, in May this year, uh, we were able to achieve 10% blending across the country. Uh, and uh, that was almost about five, six months uh, ahead of uh, the kind of target that we had. And then by looking at uh, the kind of uh, uh, the interventions that we did in first-generation ethanol, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, broad-basing the feedstock uh, through the new policy, and also the kind of uh, push that was given for the second-generation ethanol. Uh, we thought that you know the target for uh, 20% blending can be advanced from 2030 to 2025, and that's what we have uh, done now, and we are very confident of achieving it by 2025. For uh, 5%, 10% blending, we require about... Uh, 5 billion liters of ethanol, which mm-hmm. we are already producing it. And for 20%, uh, by 2025, we require about uh, 11 uh, billion liters of ethanol. Uh, with all the steps that we have taken uh, with regard to first and second generation ethanol, 
we believe uh, from first generation ethanol itself, we will be able to uh, produce about 15 billion liters of ethanol year after year from by 2024-25. And then uh, the second and third generation ethanol will be additional. So hmm. at this point of time, we are looking at E20 uh, as blended fuel. Wow. Uh, and like in, uh, uh, you know, by 2024-25, uh, and also looking at uh, marketing E100 from 2024 onwards. We are already doing uh, E100 sales in a couple of places, but by 2024-25, uh, if not across the country, but uh, all the major cities will have uh, E100 sales. It's a kind of an ecosystem very similar to what you see in Brazil, where mm-hmm. they have E27 and uh, yeah. E100. So something very similar. Um, probably we may not go beyond E20. E20 and E100 is what we are really looking at. Well, I think this is amazing. Um, you know, yes, following in the in the footsteps of Brazil, but I think it'll be so interesting. I mean, yes, I mean, the, the circumstances are different um, in the United States, of course, and, um, you know, on, on all levels, the, the politics, it's a, it's a larger uh, uh, fuel supply or gasoline supply, but, you know, so there are some differences, but I got to say, it's so amazing to see that, um, you know, that, that this, you know, is going to happen and you'll, you will reach E20, you know, before uh, you being India, India will reach E20 penetration before, um, you know, before the U.S. And it, it seems as though the government really looks at this as a, you know, it is supportive of, of this policy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Yeah. I mean, government has been uh, uh, proactive and uh, government has been pushing the industry to come forward and uh, invest into this sector. <laughs> so it's a kind of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, change in the government approach because in the past it was always industry went back to the government and requesting government uh, uh, on the new possible economies to be created and uh, pushing the government for new policies Mm -hmm. but here uh, for the first time you see that uh, government of india has come up with uh, those kind of policies and policy enablers and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know pushing the uh, industry to make investment, so which is a very welcome development in India. So, um, what do you see in terms of future volumes? You talked a little bit about advanced biofuels. What kind of volumes um, could we see in your your estimation? You know, over the next um, you know five years or so, and and can you talk a little bit more about sustainable aviation fuel and, and kind of the the activities and the and the thinking and the policy setting around um, around SAF? Sure. Um, now, as I mentioned to you, uh, the until 15 uh, most of the ethanol that was produced within the country was based on uh, the sugar molasses. Yeah. Uh, the new policy in 2018 uh, allowed not only the sugar molasses to be converted into ethanol, but uh, since we had excess sugar production, we also decided to divert sugarcane juice to produce ethanol. And the new policy allows even uh, some of the uh, food grains, which are not fit for uh, human consumption, to be converted into ethanol. In fact, uh, year after year in the Food Corporation of India, Godowns, uh, nearly about 40 to 50 million metric tons of uh, 
uh, rice or wheat gets rotten and it is all dumped into the sea. Instead of doing that, you know, we can think in terms of releasing these uh, stocks which have uh, crossed more than two years uh, to the ethanol industry at subsidized price so that uh, you know, grain-based ethanol can also be produced. We have something like 515 new distilleries which are coming up. And uh, that is, these are the distilleries which are going to augment uh, the ethanol supplies in the coming uh, years. As I mentioned, by 2025, we will have about 15 billion liters of ethanol coming from first generation ethanol, uh, first generation. And then um, at this point of time on the second generation, we are setting up uh, four commercial plants are uh, you know, uh, under construction. And a um, couple of them are going to be commissioned uh, in August this year. Uh, so, uh, and it is going to be dedicated by the Prime Minister to the country. And I would say in the next two years' time, we will have uh, all these four or five plants uh, commercially producing second generation ethanol. And uh, to talk about some of the potential, uh, at this point of time, India being an agrarian society, the kind of agri residues that are being generated uh, in the country is in the order of something like 180 to 200 million metric tons. Mm. So if all of that is available for second generation ethanol, we would be producing nothing less than, uh, uh, you know, 50 billion liters of ethanol. So, which means wow. that uh, we will be able to replace 100% of uh, gasoline that we consume in this country. Well, you know, uh, uh, you know it, it may take a while before we can get there, but that's the kind of potential India has. And also, uh, you know, we have been quite aggressively looking into uh, carbon capture and, uh, uh, you know, uh, utilization and converting yeah. that to ethanol. So, in fact, the American company Lanzatech has uh, been setting up a first plant capturing all the tail end gas from a refinery and converting that into ethanol. This is one of the plants which is going to be commissioned in August this year. So, we yeah. have the potential to set up at least some. Uh, uh, 30 to 40 such uh, uh, you know, commercial plants in the country. Uh, and then we are also looking at various different types of biomass, which cannot be used for our uh, enzymatic uh, uh, you know, uh, conversion on, into ethanol, but can go through gasification route and converting that into ethanol, either through fissure drop technologies or uh, gas fermentation technology. So I believe that uh, in next uh, 20 to 30 years uh, time, uh, you know, our uh, production of ethanol would go from something like 15 billion liters uh, per year to almost about uh, 40 to 45 billion liters. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That is huge. Huge. Yes. Wow. So we talked about ethanol. We've talked about advanced uh, biofuels. We've talked a little bit about sustainable aviation fuel. Um, you know I that... Didn't, I didn't say anything about sustainable aviation fuel. Ah, can you talk that. a little more about that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in fact, um, uh, we have been seriously looking into uh, what kind of uh, uh, policy ecosystem has to be uh, developed in the country. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a research institution called Indian Institute of Petroleum, mm -hmm. Council yep. of Scientific and Industrial Research, who have developed uh, the uh, technology to produce sustainable aviation fuel from uh, various different types of uh, oils. And um, we are really looking at commercializing it from whatever, uh, uh, you know, the uh, SAF that have been produced, we have been able to successfully demonstrate uh, some uh, test flights, uh, not only uh, the private airlines, but Indian Air Force has been uh, 
quite uh, closely been working with Indian Institute of Petroleum. And um, they have tested almost all uh, aircrafts. They have different range of aircraft that have been imported from Russia, France, United States. And most of them have been tested with uh, 10 and 20 percent uh, of sustainable aviation fuel blended in it and with excellent results. So India is still not a signatory to Corsia. Uh, I think, you know, we are going to be uh, filing pretty soon. And uh, whatever Corsia targets are there, you know, we are looking at how we can uh, meet those uh, targets. And uh, we believe that uh, if we are uh, a major producer of sustainable aviation fuel, uh, once the Corsia guidelines are implemented across the globe, uh, India should really become a hub for uh, uh, most of the international traffic uh, that you know pass from Europe to uh, Southeast Asia and Australia. So that's what we have in target. So we would like all the international traffic coming here. Uh, for us to achieve that, you know, we need to make sure that uh, we produce sustainable aviation fuel in a big way. The other route is uh, uh, ethanol to sustainable aviation fuel. Mm-hmm. In fact. Uh, uh, the one of the Indian company, Praj Industries, which is the leader uh, in biofuels today, uh, technology, they have uh, some kind of tie-up with uh, Jivo from uh, USA, mm-hmm. and uh, they are looking at producing, uh, uh, you know, a sustainable aviation fuel from uh, uh, the ethanol. And similarly, we have uh, a Lanzajet, uh, which is uh, trying to set up uh, some commercial facilities in India to produce uh, sustainable aviation fuel uh, through the ethanol route. So um, I think, you know, the policy ecosystem is yet to evolve, but a lot of uh, uh, R&D work and a lot of uh, initiative towards commercialization uh, and also looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what kind of uh, support structures had to be created within the country is something that we are working on at this point. I like that you call it policy ecosystem um, because that basically is what is required, or a, or a or a systematic view of policies that touch on different aspects of the supply chain. Um, and it seems that you all are figuring this out; those those involved in policy setting and within government and industry um, in in India are figuring this out. I think the Brazilians have figured this out <laughs> as well. Um, I'm not sure other countries are, um, you know, uh, look upon it um, in in quite that way. But that's what's necessary to make something happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have to really look at what kind of resources that we have and what kind of technologies that we have to map onto these resources to get advanced biofuels. And then when you look at technologies, you know, many of these technologies are at uh, uh, different maturity levels. So in order to make sure that they reach the commercial uh, levels, some kind of, uh, you know, support structure has to be created to make sure that some of the technology gaps are addressed. So you require uh, uh, research support, and then uh, from scaling data from the laboratory or the you know TRL six, seven, eight to TRL nine level. So uh, uh, you know that requires a lot of different interventions. So in the entire value chain, uh, you know the government is very seriously looking into it. And another important aspect is you know when you produce different fuels from these kind of resources, we also produce humongous quantities of various different byproducts. 
unless you valorize this uh, byproduct and create mm. a good market for them, uh, the biofuel market is not really going to become uh, sustainable. So mm. all the investment that we make into this sector has to be protected. So keeping all this in, in mind and also making this whole industry sustainable, um, you know, the government is quite seriously looking into the, uh, you know, entire value chain, you know, end-to-end -end possibilities and creating a kind of, uh, uh, you know, atmosphere where uh, the investment could be attracted. So that's yeah. what government is doing right now. Yeah. So let me turn back to... Um you know, the the, the diesel uh, side of the equation. So as you very well know, um, hydro-treated vegetable oil, HVO, is scaling up uh, around the world. Um, do you see the potential for the same trend to occur in India? And can you talk a little bit more? You've, we've, we've talked a lot about ethanol and, and SAF and advanced biofuel, but where does the biodiesel, where does the HVO piece fit into um, the equation for India? I think as far as the technology is concerned, we have quite well mature technology in the country. The mm -hmm. biggest uh, hurdle that I see is the feedstock. Yeah. Uh, though, you know, we have in this country different types of tree-based uh, oil seeds which can be grown. You know, we have something like 300 different species which naturally occur, but they occur sporadically all over the country. Uh, so we, we have to think in terms of how we can systematically start growing these trees and then start aggregating the uh, oil seeds, et cetera. At this point of time, though we have a target to achieve only 5% blending of biodiesel and diesel uh, by 2030, you know, you, you must realize that our diesel consumption is three times that of uh, gasoline. So which means that uh, even to achieve 5% blending, we require something like five to six billion liters of uh, biodiesel. And most of the biodiesel that we are producing in the country is based on the imported palm sterin. And we are again dependent on Indonesia and Malaysia for the palm sterin supplies. And in the last five, six years, there have been a lot of ups and downs. And uh, you know the industry has not really been able to uh, sustain itself. So yeah. what becomes important and critical is uh, our uh, indigenous feedstock production. In fact, um, currently, uh, you know, I'm part of a uh, committee which is really looking into uh, the kind of interventions that are really required in the entire feedstock supply chain, whether it is for ethanol, biodiesel, uh, sustainable aviation fuel, whichever uh, advanced biofuel that we are talking about. So uh, we are really looking at uh, putting together a short-term, mid-term, and a long-term plan. It's something like a 20 year kind of a plan that we are trying to put in place uh, to make sure that the community is involved uh, in growing the kind of feedstock that is really required for uh, the biodiesel, HVO, or even sustainable aviation fuel through the uh, HIFA route. Yeah, that's where we stand at this point of time. Feedstock production is very important. It's not really the conversion technology. And if you're really talking about uh, energy self-reliance, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to be importing the feedstock that is really required for our biodiesel program. Mm -hmm. Instead, we can continue to import the fossil fuel itself. So. Yeah, yeah. So how do you see, um, you know, that last question, but sort of the, the big overarching question is how do you see transport decarbonization happening in India and, and over what time frame? Um, how do you see, and in, in, in particular, how do you see electrification 
um, you know, taking off um, the way it seems to be taking off in, in China and India? How does that fit with biofuels? And then you also mentioned, um, you know, earlier when you were talking about your experience, you know, sort of natural gas. Um, I know that you've worked on um, methanol related issues. How do all these um, how do all of these fuels fit together in, in the matrix over time uh, for India to reach its decarbonization goals in your view? First, to talk about uh, uh, the electrification part of it. Uh, I don't know if you are aware, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Indian railways is almost 90% electrified already. So it's another, uh, probably in the next couple of years, uh, you know, mm-hmm. our, our uh, maximum five years, yeah. 100% of uh, our uh, railways would have been electrified. Uh, as far as uh, the uh, EVs are concerned, uh, I mean, you know, uh, in the recent past, we have started uh, giving a big push for it. But, um, you know, I am a little skeptical about uh, the whole thing. You know, unless all our electricity comes from renewable sources, uh, you know, it doesn't make uh, sense that, you know, we keep producing electricity from coal and then uh, we're only shifting the pollution from the cities to some other place. Yeah. So at this point of time, 70% of the electricity that... Uh, uh, we consume comes from uh, coal-based power. So we have to do a lot more work with regard to moving away from coal-based to uh, other uh, renewable uh, sources. So having said that, uh, you know, we have already taken some initiative uh, uh, with regard to uh, these vehicles. You know, all the two-wheelers and three-wheelers in India, whichever is going to be released into the market after 2024, will be either EV or wow. running on 100% ethanol or hmm. 100% uh, gas. It could be hmm. LNG or it could be compressed biogas. So that is really going to significantly reduce uh, the kind of uh, uh, carbon that is being uh, released into the market. And once we have the E20 and the E100 program in place, the E20 itself is going to considerably reduce the pollution. And when you have E100, uh, you know, we are uh, making sure that, you know, we will have a lot of uh, flexi cards being released into the market from 2024 onwards. So that itself is going to uh, bring down uh, uh, the pollution uh, significantly. So um, CBG, you know, compressed biogas, we have a very mm-hmm. ambitious program. Uh, we have a program called uh, SATAT, which stands for Sustainable Alternatives to Affordable Transportation. So where you know we have been producing biogas for more than 130 years in this country, but we never looked at um, biogas uh, for uh, transportation. Now in the last uh, three years, three four years, uh, we are really looking at um, uh, compressed biogas, which means that you know upgraded uh, biogas with 94, 95 percent methane to be used in our vehicles and replace uh, um, uh, natural gas. So. Uh, we have a target to set up about 5,000 commercial plant, making use of various different types of uh, wasted resources uh, through fermentation process, uh, and uh, producing about uh, uh, you know uh, uh, almost about 15 million metric tons of uh, gas. The total mm-hmm. consumption of all gaseous fuels in the country is in the order of about 45 million metric tons. So, which means we are talking about replacing the fossil-based uh, gases uh, to an extent of about 35%. Uh, 
And also, if you really look at uh, the import of uh, fossil gases, that can be reduced to an extent of about 75% when we achieve uh, this kind of target. So uh, we have uh, clear-cut uh, targets with regard to what will to be used and how do we really uh, get to the kind of targets that we have. As far as uh, the uh, net zero uh, to be achieved in the country, you know, uh, India has uh, accepted that you know it will uh, become a net zero country by 2070. But mm -hmm. the kind of steps that we are taking, I believe that you know we will be able to much uh, achieve it much before that. And uh, in terms of uh, marine fuels, uh, you know, we are really looking at uh, both methanol and hydrogen uh, as the replacement uh, fuel for the. Uh, current maritime fuels that is being used. So uh, a lot of uh, uh, our research work, uh, as well as commercialization uh, opportunities in the area of methanol and hydrogen, uh, that's already happening. And even hydrogen, you know, people talk about uh, blue hydrogen, green hydrogen. Right. Uh, you know, we are looking at um, uh, biomass route for uh, hydrogen. A lot of work is being done. And uh, I think, you know, we have had uh, significant breakthroughs in terms of uh, Oh. Uh, I think mm -hmm. in the next couple of years, you will see at least some three, four commercial plants, uh, you know, uh, producing hydrogen through the biomass. Ramakrishna, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to talk with you about biofuels and the and the fuel matrix and transport decarbonization and where India is headed. It's a it's a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to uh, to having you back as um, as the uh, situation continues to unfold in India. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.